The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dynamic Healing, with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing Podcast. I'm Les Aria. And I'm David Hanscom. And today we're talking about a topic I think is a very major topic affecting a lot of people individually as their society. And we're going to talk about obsessive compulsive disorder. And the reason why I'm talking about it personally, and Dr. R and I are going to debate this a little bit, is that we have sort of this TV concept of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and sort of a joke, you know, people do hand washing and stuff like that, but people forget to know what drives it. And so we're going to just define obsessive compulsive disorder in the traditional sense. My personal goal today, and Dr. Ari may not let me do this, I want to get rid of this label because I think there's an epidemic of obsessive thought patterns that really torture people a lot. I think for lots of reasons, it's more prevalent now than it was maybe 50 years ago, but I don't know that for sure. But my impression is there's an epidemic of obsessive thought patterns that people would never think is OCD. But what's OCD? So we're going to talk about that today. So, yeah, I think, David, that's a great start for us. Let's how about we um, go through a few. If someone, uh, the public was going to see a psychologist or a therapist um, or a psychiatrist. And you know, the question is, what's uh, what's OCD traditionally look like and how do we look at it? So from the way I was trained and according to what we call the psychiatric Bible, the DSM-5, um, is uh, so when we th- we look at OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, it goes something like this: one, there has to be a presence of obsessions, compulsions, or both. Now, obsession uh, obsessions are defined by reoccurring or persistent thoughts or urges or images, and um, and at some time during the disturbances, uh, there's lots of un- intrusive, unwanted, and pretty much most of my patients who have this recurrent persistent thoughts, it's very distressing to experience. It just shows up inside of them. Another thing with obsessions uh, is that the individual attempts to ignore or suppress such thoughts, urges, and images, or to try to find a way to neutralize them. So that's the obsession part. Let me talk about the compulsion part. 
Compulsion, according to the DSM-5, for example, is defined by repetitive compulsion, repetitive behaviors. What does that mean? And washing, ordering, like orderly things, getting things organized, checking constantly, or mental acts like this, which I had several patients do this. Mental acts of compulsion is when they have this intense obsession to kind of get rid of it, what they do is they do these mental acts. So not just repetitive behaviors like checking doors, hand washing, but mental acts of compulsion could be like this, praying, counting, repeating words silently, mumbling to yourself in that sense, like over and over again, like a phrase. And these individuals feel driven to perform these responses uh, to, an, to an obsession or intrusive thought. So compulsions are done to try to get rid of the obsessions, uh, the intrusive thoughts in such a vicious cycle. Now, one of the other things that we look at as psychologists looking at people with OCD is that when people are engaging in obsessions, again, that's the intrusive parts, that's the thought part, the compulsions are the acts to get rid of the obsessions. Uh, the obsessions or compulsions are very time consuming. That's another, that's another category we need to look at. It has to consume a lot of time. And what's, what's a lot of time? It could take more than one hour. Uh, I had a patient that basically would door check, um, would pray multiple times, for example, uh, and then would leave the house and then come back in. It would take her 30 minutes to an hour before she could actually leave for work. So there's time consuming there. And then the other thing I want to emphasize, which I think we'll touch on a little bit, is, is, is as a psychologist, when I look at OCD, is besides the obsession, the compulsion, the time consuming, one of the things we look at, uh, we have to look at, and uh, as a doctor, you probably would do the same thing with different conditions, is to make sure that nothing else better accounts for it. Like, you know, it may be when people use drugs or diet drugs or misuse ADHD medications, they could sound and act like OCD. So there's a physiological effect. So nothing better accounts for this, uh, this position. Uh, so David, so that's pretty much, uh, we can always get deeper into the diagnostic criteria, but I don't want to bore the uh, audience. So these are some uh, basic components of traditional OCD criteria in the DSM-5. So one of my goals today is to blow that up. <laughs> Sorry about that, Dr. Aria. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you and I both know that anxiety is a physiological state. It's inflammatory. Your metabolism is elevated. And the sensation that is generated when you're under any threat, mental or physical, that sensation generated by your body's chemistry is what we call anxiety. And it's very disturbing, very frustrating, but also necessary for life. So it turns out that thoughts are sensory input that are a threat processing a similar part of the brain as physical pain, increase the sensation of anxiety, but we can't escape it. And so Dr. Arias has a quote that I keep quoting about what you resist will persist. And we all know when you try not to think about something, you think about it more. And then, of course, you get some crazy thought years ago and you toss it aside. Well, it comes back again and you toss it aside again. So what happens, you get this, these demons be, are actually who you're not because if you're, as a well-intentioned person, have more of a trouble with this than people who are not so well-intentioned. In other words, well-intentioned people are burdened by good intentions. So any thought that comes in that doesn't match that intention, they tend to toss it aside. The key, so I'll just be clear. I had OCD. I had extremely severe OCD to the point that I was suicidal. There's no escape for me. So every three to five minutes, these thoughts would come at me. 
This started when my son was born, and, and Dr. Ari will talk about that in a second. But my observation personally with other people, major life events, particularly within a family, seem to set this thing off. Could be a divorce, could be death of a relative, could be the birth of a child, all these things. Because what happened to me is that also I had this baby in my hand, it sort of penetrated this facade of busyness, et cetera. So I had a real person, real connections, real emotions that I didn't know what to do with. So these thoughts started coming at me pretty darn hard. And what I didn't realize is that it was a form of OCD, which again, we're gonna get rid of that term because every human being has some level of intrusive thoughts. And so at what level does it become the diagnosis of OCD? Because my impression is that right now, there's an epidemic of people with these obsessive thought patterns. So I start, I start asking the questions more carefully, not just with my patients that have been in pain, but just in general, talking to teens, people in their 20s and 30s, that they have a great life. They're sort of tortured by these obsessive thought patterns. And so I think there's an epidemic of obsessive thought patterns. I think it really is a major factor in taking away from people's quality of life. And so I read this book, 1997 called intrusive thoughts i'm sorry i'm tormenting thoughts hidden rituals by ian osborne who is a psychologist who had ocd himself and i remember the first thing i was reading go oh my god i'm not by myself on this thing and we think of ocd as these external behaviors that dr ari just talked about but i always called internal ocd I would thought, counter thought, thought, counter thought. I had no clue I had quote OCD, but I had these obsessive thought patterns that were torturous and then they become impulses. Mm -hmm. And so your whole quality of life, you can do, I'll never forget being on a ski slope with my son when he was 10 years old. There's three feet of powder, could not have been a better day. And I was completely miserable. I'm going, what the heck? I mean, if I can't enjoy this, what do I get to enjoy? So it's the most incredible feeling literally being trapped by your thoughts. So incredible anxiety, incredible feeling of being trapped. And Dr. Arya has a category of thoughts that are really, I thought, very clear. And I had, this is a category, maybe three or four of these categories. I think everybody has all of these things. Right. Um, but my two categories were about religiosity and, um, and, and violence. So, um, you want to talk about these common yeah. types? I'm going, to, I'm going to use the word. I'm going to try to use the word obsessive thought patterns as opposed to OCD. Got you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I think that, that that's absolutely fine, David. I think the most important thing for us is to communicate this um, to folks that they are not damaged or there's it's not something's wrong with them. This is the circuitry, um, which we'll get into a little bit um, about the brain and the nervous system. So the seven types of common OCD that David is kind of talking about and mentioning here is this. I'm just going to kind of did you did off. you mean obsessive thought patterns? Dr. I, I, I'm sorry, I meant that. I knew you were going to correct me when I said that. You just uh, couldn't focus. resist, could you? Okay. So <laughs> so 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 I tell Doctor about tormenting <laughs> thoughts. I have Doctor Arya to torment me. So this is it's so. That's one of the solutions. Dave, I'm going to tease you. Was that an obsessiveness to need to correct me? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I think Ooh. I just called him out on that one. <laughs> Ooh, that would hurt. All right, all right. Let's get back. Let's get back on the horse here. All right, folks, here are seven types of OC. Uh, sorry, <laughs> obsessive patterns. Here we go. All right. One is aggressive or sexual thoughts. And this is something like where David was talking about is you have this 
this stuff inside of you, this anger, this rage, and you just have this intensity to want to act out your thoughts, but you're, you're just sort of drunk in them. Uh, again, sort of this obsessive, ruminating on it, uh, aggressive or sexual thoughts, category one. Second one is harm to loved ones. I know this may sound ridiculous, but this is not about rationality. This is about the brain trying to be in survival mode. For whatever reason, one, can, one of the categories is this. Is here's an example. Harm to, one, harm to loved ones is something like this. This is a common one I hear a lot when I started my practice uh, many moons ago, is that, uh, for example, a mom or a dad that's driving a toddler in the back or an infant, and they're really freaked out. They don't want to take the toddler anywhere because they're afraid that they will harm this child by an accident or, you know, or even they don't want the child to be around when they're cutting stuff and the, the, the knife may slip. So it's really, really, and it sounds irrational, but here's this, folks. This is part of the pattern. Aggressiveness of sexual thoughts, category one. Another category is basically harm to loved ones. Here's a common one that everyone has seen on TV and Dr. Phil and all the other stuff is germs and contamination. This is a big one. Um, here's another one. Here's a fourth one is doubt and incompleteness. Um, and at some level, I used to have this doubting whether the work was done, double checking everything. I'm treating, I'm currently treating several patients who actually are high level professionals and they're creating such work for themselves. They double check everything, even when their assistant checks their work. So that's doubt and incompleteness. Another one here is this, the fifth one is um, sin, religion, and mor uh, morality. It's kind of always needing to do this obsessiveness of I've got to do the right thing. I, had, I just had a dirty thought. I need to kind of get rid of it, get on my knees, ask for forgiveness from God. Um, I, I must always do the right thing when someone says, do I look good in these jeans? You know, that it's like, um, and you want to say the right things. And so you don't say that, so you hide. So anytime you hide or try to get rid of this uncomfortable thoughts of sin, something to do that you didn't pray enough, that's sin, religion, and morality. That's the fifth one. The sixth and seventh are basically this. The sixth one is also very common. And David, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to tease you, but I treat a lot of physicians, David, and um, there's not just physicians. But um, this happens to a lot, but my, my experience is this seems to happen more with physicians than anyone else. Again, this can be with anyone else. Orderliness and symmetry, needing pens, rulers, things on your desk when you leave. Now, when I leave my office, sometimes I'd like, to, I like my desk neat and clean because when I come back to it, it just helps me mentally. But, um, you know, when my kids touches my pen or goes out, it's out of alignment and it's not symmetrical. Um, I don't lose it, but people with um, this obsessive patterns, when they find out that someone has moved their pens, this, again, this seems to be with a lot of physicians have treated, not just physicians, but other people, orderliness and symmetry. And the last one, which David, you talk a lot about, which is very common also, is the need for self-control. You cannot seem to let people help you. You freak out when you don't have control, especially during times of uncertainty. The obsession is intense and things, the anxiety becomes very intense and your body becomes very intense. The need to, to control your thoughts, your emotions, your pain, your life, your people. So those are the seven categories, David.
Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So what I want, today we're not going to get into the solutions, really. This is a big topic, and we joke around it about a little bit, but I do think in 2022, my biggest focus right now are these obsessive thought patterns. They really are torturing people. People seek medical care. Their quality of life is compromised. Their relationships are compromised. Family life is compromised. It compromises your whole life. And I call it the curse of consciousness is my term for it. I know it's not quite scientific, but it's really frustrating that you have everything and you cannot outrun your mind. So I just want to take a second lesson, just jump into a little bit. You mentioned that there's nothing wrong with you as a person. This mm-hmm. is a, I use the word neurological trick. That may not be the best term, but this is a function of your unconscious brain that you have no control yeah. over, right? Yes. Yep, yep. And so the more you try to fight this thing, so I just want to review the neuroscience of anxiety just for a second, is that you have um, any type of threat will set off a physiological response. And when you're full of adrenaline, cortisol, inflammation, your burn rate is higher, metabolism, um, you just feel agitated and anxious. So again, anxiety is just a word that describes that whole reaction. So the thoughts are a threat, unpleasant thoughts are a threat that set off this reaction. And then you have a certain thought about a certain something and that reaction gives meaning to that thought. In other words, you created a connection now to that thought with a physical sensation. So it seems real. The problem is this part of the unconscious brain that's a million times stronger than the conscious brain. It's a million to one ratio. And the harder you fight this thing, the worse it gets. And so over time, over about seven years, I just kept going deeper and deeper into this process. And again, I just want people that are suffering with this to say, look, oh, you know, I don't have OCD. It doesn't matter. Do you have thoughts that come through your day that just bother you a little bit and you sort of toss them aside? Right. Well, be careful because five or 10 years later, they can become monsters. And so what happens is you have react to these thoughts more, they start becoming impulses. And then you're in trouble because I started doing avoidance behaviors. I won't go into detail. I'll just give you one. For example, I just, about five years into the really severe part of the same, um, I just had an impulse. In other words, these thoughts become impulses. And I felt like I just want to throw up. But in a more formal situation, I have an impulse to take a glass of water and throw it in a person's face. So in the, in the higher the stakes, the higher mm-hmm. the impulse. So the good news with OCD, people, I'm sorry, obsessive thought patterns. There we go. People rarely act on it, almost never. But what happened, I would actually move the glass of water to the side. And it just started pervading every aspect of my life. The only time I could escape this was during surgery, 
where I was so connected to what I had to do next that it sort of crowded everything out. Well, inadvertently, that also happens to be the solution in general. As you get connected to a different part of your life, the stuff, the other thoughts start getting crowded out. If you try to fix them or solve them, as Dr. Arias pointed out, that as you try to fix something, put your attention on it, you actually reinforced it. So, um, Les, do you want to talk about, you have some concept about the actual neuroscience about the parts of the brain that light up with OCD? Yeah, um, this is something I teach my graduate students, and uh, this has been known for a while, thank goodness for brain science, right? Because can you imagine not having brain science? You, you would think that, what is the matter with me? And we would continue the descent of self-abuse, of something is wrong with me. Folks, there's nothing wrong with you. This is, there's, for whatever reason, your brain is feeling threat and it's just producing this. So here are the three common brain areas. Uh, so forgive me, and I can simplify it and I'll tell you the function of it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the three common brain parts in obsessive thought patterns, also known as OCD. So, and then I can, uh, David, if you wanna, can talk to the audience about what are the common functions of these three brain parts, okay? So here we go. The first brain part that is involved in obsessive thought patterns, again, OCD, is called the orbital frontal cortex, also known as OFC. Another brain part that's involved is called anterior cingulate cortex. The acronym there is ACC. And then there's another part which is deep uh, in what we call the subcortical, a deep, deep part of the brain, uh, is called the head of the caudus nucleus. So all three have been implicated in um, provoking, uh, promoting this um, obsessive thought pattern. So what they have found out is this is a common pattern. It's almost like a loop. So if you think about it, so let me draw you. If you think of the brain on the side and it's kind of got a loop. So imagine a loop that starts in the middle and then goes to the front part of the brain and then circles all around the top part and comes back to the back. And then it's almost like a circle in the middle from the front part of the brain to the sensing of the part of the brain and then into this movement part of the brain, which is where the compulsions occur. Uh, David, did you want me to go into maybe what these three, oh, just simply what the functions are um, and how it's related? Yeah, that'd be great. I guess I'd like to simplify it down a little bit more and say, and just remember that um, all living creatures know how to survive, including humans, right? My cat knows how to survive, right. snakes know how to survive, reptiles do. So every living creature has survival mechanisms that keep them alive. Yeah. So most mammals have about four to 6% of their brain, four to 6% of their metabolism or energy is used to run the brain mm -hmm. in most mammals. Humans is about 20%. So these areas of your brain that we're talking about are part of being human that other animals don't have. In the same way. So one is emotional expression, one is about thinking processes, et cetera, et cetera. So again, a lot of our brain knows how to take care of ourselves. That's the unconscious part of the brain. The problem is the conscious brain gets mixed up in these unconscious circuits. And so it feels like our identity is mixed in with this thing. So that's a huge problem. And so the biggest factor is in solving this, again, we're going to talk about the solutions later. We're not going to talk about this today. This is too complicated, but the biggest factor is this sensation we call anxiety is just a reflex, it's automatic, it's hardwired. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a survival reaction. But since it encompasses your whole body and your whole body chemistry is evolved, it feels like who you are. So I'll just 
bring up one point, the part of the brain you're talking about is the unconscious brain, a million times stronger than your conscious brain. The more you do battle with it, the stronger it becomes. So the first thing to consider today is that you have this big neurochemical reaction. It feels uncomfortable. We call it anxiety and we are helpless. And so you have to separate your consciousness from this reaction. I, did, I call it developing a working relationship with it, which is part of the solution. Because it's always going to be that your brain's always there to try to protect you. And this is what I've learned from you is that these reactions are there to protect us, including the yeah. mental, emotional ones to keep us alive. But we, we become very good at dysfunctional survival reactions emotionally, and it starts morphing into these obsessive thought patterns. Yeah, um, so that's well said, David. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that as, um, you know, folks want to just take a step back from what David said. It's like being in quicksand. The unconscious mind is like the quicksand. The more we fight it, the deeper you sink into it. So uh, that's the metaphor I'd like to use. Right. But it's a mismatch. We're trying, we're trying, we have these uncomfortable sensations. We identify with them. We try to fix them, solve them. We feel ashamed. We have these impulses and sensations. But it's just your unconscious brain doing what it does. It's going to salvage you or save you at all costs. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And with that said, David, let me kind of um, I'll just I'll briefly go over it. And if you need further explanation, we'll I'll get into it. But I don't I don't want to get too stuck into this stuff because it's very very complex. So let me just do a general overview of the three brain parts: the orbital frontal cortex, the OFC, the anterior cingulate cortex, the ACC, and the head of the uh, cotton nucleus. Sorry, folks. There's no fancy acronym to that. Um, so, so what is the orbital frontal cortex, the OFC? It's basically a part of the brain. It's the front part of the brain. Think of the brain as like the basement, and then there's the uh, living space, and then there's the attic. And uh, think of the bottom part of the brain uh, called the orbital frontal and uh, cortex. So the front part of your brain, think of your forehead and that area. And uh, what this part of the brain is involved in cognitive processing of making decisions. So this is the part where sometimes we can ruminate and do I do this, do I not, do I do this? The um, other brain part we talked about is called the anterior cingulate cortex, the ACC. And that's basically has a variety of host of functions. One of the functions is basically emotional expression. So uh, attention, like where's your attention? So one of the things with obsessive thought patterns is we keep going back and attending to that uncomfortable sensation or the thoughts or the emotions. The ACC is also, check this out folks, is also implicated, important in mood regulation. So if you're constantly in the past or in the future, think about that, that impacts your mood. So the uh, so that's that's really important for the ACC. The last part is basically the cotton nucleus and uh, it does a variety, variety of things. In obsessive thought patterns, this is the part that when we get distressed, sometimes we do things, we grab food or we wash our hands or we start to clean the house. That part that makes us do those things, those movements is in the cotton nucleus. So again, this is just a simplistic overview. The, the cotton nucleus is involved in working memory, cognitive functions, also in emotions, but it's a lot to do with movement and how we do things. David? Well, I think your description <clears throat> uh, that these is like a circle almost, right? These brain parts mm -hmm. that interact with each other. So a term I've used, I call it phantom brain pain. <clears throat> it's like you have phantom limb pain where you feel yeah. an arm or leg that's not there, but you also have thought patterns that start spinning around and I call it phantom brain pain. 
is that you can't stop them. And I liken to spinning a basketball on your finger that if you try, if you think the thoughts, you've, you've spun the basketball. If you try not to think the think the thought, <laughs> you're actually spinning the basketball even faster. I like so, that. Again, you can't use rational means to deal with these unconscious circuits. So what we're going to, so in summary today, um, OCD, I think obsessive thought patterns that historically has been called OCD is that if you think, well, I don't have OCD, but guess what? Um, do I have some of these patterns that are really disturbing, really frustrating my quality of life? Because they do. And if you try to solve them with rational means, it's not going to work. The prognosis for the traditional pro prognosis for traditional OCD is very dismal. And, but there's some principles of solving it that I had severe OCD, extreme, suicidal over the whole thing. And those thought patterns aren't there anymore. But there's some principles behind getting that solved. I also want to point out a couple of the diagnoses that are cousins of obsessive thought patterns, um, eating disorders, body image disorders, cutting behavior, hair pulling, skin picking, are all behaviors that you would not necessarily put into an OCD category, but they're repetitive patterns that are very much related to these obsessive thought patterns that keep spinning around. So in general, all of us have thoughts that are unpleasant and how we react to them determines how embedded they get in our brain. And there's ways of actually shifting your attention away from these circuits and moving into another part of the brain. And then as you pay less attention to these thought patterns, you end up, they, they just, they just, it's the basketball quits spinning and, you, mm -hmm. and you're free. So it's actually more solvable than you, you think. And so we're going to talk about <clears throat> on the next several podcasts, some of the reasons why this occurs so commonly in humans. And we'll talk about the principles behind the solutions. <clears throat> and then we'll get really practical about things you actually can do to break up this pattern of obsessive thought patterns. And you know, so Dr. Aria, you get the last word today. No, well, thank you very much. Because my voice is not working right. So oh, I see. Last word. <laughs> I see. I see you poor baby, you. <laughs> So now, David, um, I, I think that's really well summarized. And my parting words to the audience or anyone who's struggling with any one of the seven categories or multiple of these categories is to just be kind to yourself, to realize that um, it's, a, it's a simplistic solution, but I'm not trying to offer the solution. I'm just trying to say is this, is know that you are beautiful and great the way you are. Sometimes we don't have clear explanations on why things occur, but what is important is how you show up every day for yourself. So with those parting words, I want to wish everyone uh, a great day and be kind to yourself. Thank you. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, 
and wherever you get your podcasts.